0: Good evening and welcome back to Providence Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Uh, this evening, there are no uh, pressing announcements other than a reminder again, the Lord's Supper is this coming Sunday. We have the call to worship, where we cast aside all distractions for this day. It's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Let's bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. us turn to our hymnals and stand and sing 412, 412.
1: Steadfast in your word, curb those who by deceit your son Lord, wrest the kingdom from your son, and bring to naught all he has done. Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known. Oh, you are Lord of lords alone, defend your holy church that we may sing your praise triumphantly. Oh, comforter of priceless worth, send Peace and unity on earth, support us in our final strife, and lead us out of death to life. Let us pray.
0: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glorious God, three in one. We, who are gathered this evening, God, gathered by your presence, Lord, thankful for your word, for the opportunity again to finish this, your day, in praise of you, to hear your word, God, proclaimed, and to be drawn unto you by your spirit. We ask, God, especially that we will be sanctified and grow more into the image of Christ and love for one another. We pray these things this evening, God, in your precious name, alone, amen. You may be seated. Let's go ahead. We have Hymn 413-413 to sing.
1: Revive thy work, O Lord, Exalt thy precious name, And by the Holy Ghost love, Pour thee in thine inflame. Revive thy work, O Lord, Give Pentecostal showers, The glory shall be, all I know, the blessing, Lord, be ours. Psalm 118b, 118b. 5 through
0: 8, yes, 5 through 8.
1: Savior's house upon you we proclaim. The blessing of our Savior's house upon you we proclaim. The lights of joy to shine on us, the Lord our God has made. Now be the precious sacrifice. Upon his altar laid, now be the precious sacrifice upon his altar laid. O Lord, my God, I praise thy name. All other names above. O give him thanks, for he is good and bound. This is his love. Oh, give him thanks, for he is good. And by blessings is love. Oh, praise the Lord, for he is good. Let all in heaven above. And all the saints on earth proclaim his everlasting love. And all the saints on earth proclaim, there's everlasting love."
0: Amen. Let us pray. We proclaim your love, God Almighty, not only in our hearts, but with our lips through this psalm, the psalm that you've given us to sing, God. We ask, Lord, through the blood of Christ, you continue to accept our offerings, and that is the mouth of praise in our lives, God, given to you day by day. This evening, God, as our hearts move towards you, we think of those who need prayer, for those who are not here, for those who could not make it for various and sundry reasons, Lord, that you would be with them and help them, God, to continue to worship you as best they can. And, God, we think of others such as are out of the state, Tolly and Simon in the military, and other Christians who find themselves in a difficult situation of being in the military and stationed away from good churches, away from their family, Lord. And, and the like, and that you would continue to be with them as you promised in your word, and that they would have access, we pray, to your Bible, uh, to some fellowship of the saints, certainly God, to a place of worship, and a pastor, and other Christians, Lord, that can encourage them, and lift them up, and edify them, and even admonish them as needed. We ask, Lord, that they would continue strong in your word, and that's they, God, we pray. Wherever they may be, here or overseas, Lord, be saved. Both of their body and their soul to be protected, God, and stand firm against uh, all the temptations and the different life that many uh, non-military people don't understand. The military is involved in Lord, and how much uh, they influence and have control over your way of living, and all the instruction and training that they uh, insist upon that go beyond just the basic job, even. And so, Bruce says, Lord, protect them. We pray with your truth. Thy word is truth. We lift up other Christians. Uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, God, who work in other similar and difficult endeavors and jobs, such as the police and the medical field and the like, that you would also be with them, protect them, body and soul, and that, again, they could be, we pray, a good witness to you as they see firsthand what many of us do not see, God, uh, the wickedness of this world, the terrors and the murders and the pain and misery that is out there, God, and that this would be an example to show them the consequences of sin, of what it means to live in a world of their own making, live in a world hating you and ignoring you, God Almighty, and thus bringing about much pain and misery in their own lives and the lives of others. So God, be with those Christians as well, especially those who have hard uh, hours and jobs to do, uh, midnight hours, or they have to police dangerous parts of town, God. Again, they would have access to good churches and good Christians, um, Lord, and good fellowship for encouragement and advice as well. We're thankful, God, that we have opportunities uh, to uh, work in such fields of endeavor, God, uh, to continue to work for our family, Lord, but above all for you and all things that we do. We lift up our health considerations, God, for our body. For the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you tell us to take care of it, to not only live uh, towards you with respect to our soul and our meditations upon you and our hearts and our minds, God, but also with the things external, with our hands and our feet and our eyes and our ears, Lord, to be used for your holy name's sake and that we, God, will continue to do what we can to take care of ourselves with exercise, with good diet, to avoid situations that would make us easily sick if we can. We think in particular, Lord, of those who have chronic ailments that have come upon them or continue to be upon them, Lord, that you would help them overcome it, give them access to good doctors, to good advice, to good health of some sort or another. We think of those who are recovering, Lord, of recently, of surgery and falling in their apartment, God, that they could recover quickly, Lord. We're thankful, again, that we have such means of advancement, of technology you've given us in history, here and now, that we can hit a little button over a necklace of our chest, God, and the fire department and the hospital and the like will come and deliver us. We're thankful for that scenario that has occurred, Lord, to the good of her who is recovering. And Lord, we continue to ask that you would help us to deal with sudden sicknesses and the like, and God Almighty, that we can overcome them quickly, Lord. Think of others who are not able to make it this evening who are sick, and that they could recover quickly, God, and heal. Give us patience in our trials and our tribulations, for this is certainly a trial and tribulation, a difficulty in our life that you have put in our path, Lord, to teach us, God, that you are coming, and that the things of this world, the physical, tangible things that are enjoyable, such as the things we do with our hands and our, our mouth, Lord, eating and playing and swimming in the like God, is fading away. This world is fading away. and We will have a better new heaven and new earth without sin, without all these effects, God. Help us, we pray, to learn that lesson, to look forward to the coming of Christ. And lastly, God, we lift up our concerns for the education of each other, of our children, even of our neighbor, God, again, as those who love our neighbors that is called traditionally patriotism, Lord, that we would continue to pray for them and ask God that you would give them good access to good schools and good education and not the bad education and the wickedness that we hear at times in the news reports and the like. We think especially of our children in the church, Lord, that they would continue to have a good education, that they would learn their ABCs and their 123s and the history of this nation and of their own uh, state and their own family and everything else that's involved and what it means to be a good citizen, a functional member of society, God, and all the training that's involved in there, that uh, their parents, and that we can come alongside their parents and the teachers, Lord, uh, to give them better instruction and good instruction to that end. But especially, Lord, not just to how to live in this world, but to live in the world to come. That is the knowledge of the Bible, of the law of God, of your holiness therein, in that law that has high demands for us that are fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ, our God and Savior and Lord Jesus, the gospel that promises us that hope, that renewal, that salvation of redemption from our sins, from the consequences of our violations of your holy law, of us doing our own thing, God Almighty, that our children will learn these things, both the law and the gospel, and embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and grow thereby with the instruction of the church, for we have a duty as a church to instruct the members therein, and the children as well as they are baptized members of the body of Christ. And So precious Lord, may we also not only continue to pray and do what we can to encourage, and edify one another towards learning more of your world and your ways and your history and the place that we find ourselves in that history, God but for ourselves as well, that we would continue to grow in our knowledge individually and as families, God, to take time to read the Bible, take time to read uh, perhaps some church history, Lord, to get a different perspective of how things have gone in the past, Lord, that is to see your hand, your mighty hand, in the life of the saints of old, and through some commentaries as well of godly saints who perhaps give us a different uh, light upon old truths, Lord, and good illustrations of the like, whatever God may be, in our particular case, but it may be for our edification, that we may be drawn unto you with more truth and more knowledge and more love and more faith in you, we pray. We ask all these things, God Almighty, and more that we have in our hearts, Lord, that only you know, especially, God, for you see all our understanding, understand all things in our hearts and our minds, Lord. And we pray that these things would be answered according to your will and not our wrong. We ask these things by the blood of Christ Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm. We now have the tithes and offerings.
1: Praise Him, all creatures who be loved. Praise Him above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.
0: Amen. Again, God Almighty, with thankful hearts we give Uh, These tithes and offerings, Lord, as a token that is a part of the whole of what we have in our life that we are supposed to exercise for the good of one another, and ultimately God, for your kingdom and for your glory. And may these tithes and offerings, we pray, be used wisely and mightily in your kingdom work here at Providence. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, every few years. I stop and go through a number of basic doctrines of Christianity, and it's good to go over the basics. That's what I mean in my prayer when I say the ABCs and the one 23s for Christian education, right? Uh, that's shorthand for all that's needed therein. So here we have in Genesis 1-1 a traditional passage we're aware of. From here we will have a number of sermons on who God is. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let us pray. So here, God, in great fashion, as only you can, you have dictated through Moses, Lord, these divine words of how all things were created by you. The heavens and the earth, all things visible and invisible, all things here and into the future, Lord, are from your plan, from your power, and from your might. And from this, God, may we learn who you are all the more. And how much the Bible describes you in so many ways, God, as being independent, infinite, and immutable in all that you are and do. God, and you do these things, and you give us this revelation that we may glory in you and be strengthened and even comforted. We pray. Amen. Here in Genesis, we have the beginning of everything. That's what the word Genesis means. It means beginning. We have the beginning of rocks and trees, of grass and and leaves, of the skies and clouds, of the rivers, of the oceans, of animals large and insects small, of stars larger than our sun, and quarks smaller than an atom. We have the origins of mathematics, of science and history. We have the origins of man and woman, and we have the origins of the family, community, the church, and the state we have the origins and beginnings of nations, and of Israel in particular, as we know. We even have the origin of music and meteorology, right? And more importantly, we have the origins of sin in the human race, and also the redemption found in God alone, Genesis 3.15. In other words, Genesis one is the beginning of everything in the universe. Everything in in this creation is a broad term that we use. Things seen and unseen, known and unknown. But this beginning of all things is not the beginning of God. We do not have the origins of the genesis of God in the Bible because the Bible assumes His eternal existence. He has always been and never had a beginning. It assumes that This existence, without arguing for it, it describes it in lofty terms, it explains his truth in detail, but does not engage in what we call traditionally apologetics, or giving a reason of the hope that is within us, for his existence. But it does picture God in two helpful ways, one negatively and one positively, and that's the way I've divided this sermon. Negatively, God is not a man. That must be clear. It is so easy for us because, well, let me think about it. That's right, we're humans, and all we can imagine of things is as a human would imagine things. Even when we have those movies you may or may not like or watch, alien movies and the like, and they're talking about how can we figure out what the aliens are up to, they've got some conspiracy going on, you find out the aliens still somehow in some way are kind of human-like. They kind of think like us, they still use logic, they still have pain or something like that, they still have relationships or whatever movie you happen to be watching. Because we can't really get outside of our own head, can we? This is all we know, is what it means to be human. And so we project that upon our animals, right? Our pets, and upon aliens and things that we make up. And so the first point is to emphasize, God is not a man. He's nothing like us, in the fundamental sense of that language. And of course, positively, we're going to talk about that God is God and what that means. So the first point is, God is not a man. You might know this famous passage, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Well, I don't think we know the answer to that one. Men lie. Men change their mind. It doesn't have to be lying. They just don't know enough. They're immutable. They change. They get hot. They get cold. And they don't always keep the word. Sometimes because they can't. Things have gone outside their ability. Again, showing their finitude and their mutability. But that's nothing of the kind for God. And God is not a man that he should repent or relent or change his mind. He's not a man that he should lie. On the flip side, as he said, shall he not do it? Has he spoken it? Shall he not make it good? He can, as we shall see in the second part of the sermon, because he has that power and might as being infinite in his power and his might to fulfill his word in a way we cannot fulfill our words. The most powerful men on earth, dictators and presidents, have made promises they cannot keep. You can think of a number of presidents who have made those famous speeches and they fail every time. Because they are men, but God is not. He is the opposite of that. So those are negative examples. That's not what God is like. He is better than that. He keeps his word. Has he not spoken? He is indeed. And shall he not make it good? He shall. It's a rhetorical question. With the assumed answer, yes, he will make it good. So we see here both a similarity and a dissim- dissimilarity, a sameness and a difference. The sameness with respect to men is in a secondary sense of sorts. We talk about attributes. Veracity in this case, right? Men lie, but men can also tell the truth, can they not? Of course they do. If they always lied, we would have no civilization to be built upon. We wouldn't trust one another. Nothing would get accomplished. People do tell the truth, just not consistently. That's the problem. That's what Christ is highlighting here. God is, excuse me, here in particular, through the mouth of the prophet. God is not a man that he should lie, ever. Even the most trustworthy people that we know in our lives, such as Washington, George Washington, we always hear, he never lied. I'm sure he lied at least once lied at least once. That's the point. God is never going to be like that. Not once. Not one iota. He keeps his word. But there's a similarity there. Men do also tell the truth, but God tells the truth. That's that similarity. Men have justice. Men execute justice. That's good. They'll send people to prison who ought to go to jail. That's wonderful. That's a good thing. God exercises justice always, all the time, perfectly, and never messes up. We mess up. Our judicial system messes up. People lie. The similarity should not change the fact that there's this great difference, and that's a big difference, between lying once, twice, doesn't matter. All it takes is once. And never lying, ever, 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 from eternity past to eternity future. And so the highlight here, of course, in numbers, is that I am not like these mere men who may tell a, a, the truth now and then, who may fulfill their promises now and then, but they ultimately end up lying somewhere down the line, failing somewhere down the line. God is not like a man; He's not like that at all. Praise the Lord. And so these attributes that men have—they can tell the truth. They can try to fulfill their promises. They can even love. God tells the truth. God fulfills his promises. God loves. The men's actions are fractured and limited compared to God because there is a fundamental difference between the two. And that's what God is highlighting there. I am not a man that I should lie. The difference of these attributes, we see this here in who he is, because God cannot lie because he is not a man. We see this in Genesis text. In verse 1 of Genesis 1, where the word Elohim is used, you've heard that word probably, When indicating the true God, Elohim functions as the subject of all divine activity, revealed to man, and as the object of all true reverence and fear from men. The Bible in Hebrew has a number of different names for God. The names of God describe different attributes, we say. We might say, in normal parlance, characteristics of God. And this Elohim here in Genesis 1 is appropriate for God the Creator as He who has the subject of all divine activity. He is the one who creates and does and does the miracles, in this case the miracle of all creation, of speaking all things and they come into existence. Genesis 1-1, in other words, necessarily implies a God independent from Creation and therefore, independent from creation, he created all things. They didn't create him. He's already here in the text. He's already existing because the Bible assumes his pre-existence, he's eternal existence. He has no beginning and he has no end. And so here he is in our perspective. We just we're reading this, and in the beginning, God, God's already there, created the heavens and the earth. Everything else flows from him. He is independent of creation. They depend upon him. And if he's independent of creation, he is therefore immutable and infinite. They all go together of a piece. We'll talk about that in the second part of the sermon. Who is like our Lord? Exodus 15, 11, we read, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders or miracles? Because miracles are wonders indeed. Amazing things to see. So, these verses here I'm going through highlighting this first point God is not a man. There's nothing to compare him to in the fundamental sense of what it means to be God. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is glorious in holiness and perfection, moral perfection, and doing wonders? The God of Roman Catholicism depends upon man's will. The pagan gods are finite and powerless. of course, the atheists of science, they change their science. We're old enough here. Everyone here knows some of the science and the rules have changed. Oops, we goofed. God never does that. Amen. Isaiah 55a. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Don't think of God as a big man with superpowers. He's not a superman. He's not a Batman or a spider-man he's not a Thor I know they call him the god of thunder we all kind of laugh at that yeah right that's the god of thunder he's getting his you know he's getting beat up all the time he can't get anywhere in life that's the pagan gods right if you learn some Greek mythology you find out the pagan gods are just humans with extra powers they're still petty they could still get beaten up they could still be thwarted Our God is nothing like that brothers and sisters and that's a good thing so we'll find out. All the more. So, Isaiah 55 8, Exodus 15 11, Genesis 1 1, and Numbers there, to highlight, get it knocked out of your head. God is not like us, He doesn't think like us, He doesn't exist like we do. Who is like our God, whose lofty and deep thoughts reach beyond eternity? We cannot fully grasp Him or His thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. Pagan gods and atheist scientists babble with shallow words that change with the times, but not our God. They're so-called gods of the ancient Near East in the old days, and we still have them today in South America and Australia and Africa, and pagan, paganism. Such gods are dependent, such gods are finite, such gods are mutable. What we need instead of a limited, finite, and dependent God is a Lord of all creation, independent of all things and might and power in this universe, infinite in all that He does and immutable in all that He says. We need the God of the Bible. This is the God with whom we have to deal with, brothers and sisters. This is the God of Genesis one one. So here, on the second point, God is God. God, from this description, then I'll give you three. Main ideas of God. God is independent, God is immutable, and God is infinite. So, the first point God is independent. He has his ground of being, they say in philosophy, in himself. This is another way of saying it. Can you live without the things of this world? You're like, well, sure, I don't need money. I can forage on my own. Well, sure, exactly, you can forage on your own, but that means what? You need food. (laughs) You still need something in this creation. You need water. You need air. You also need molecules that stay together and don't explode. You need all these things that God does not need. You need the ground to walk on. The struggle they have with Astronauts is the lack of gravity because our body and our muscles are literally designed to work in a gravitational environment. Otherwise, it withers away. So, they have to keep the exercises up and things like that. We're not made for space, in other words. They still have a ground there, they've got to push around with it. We need the sun to see by. God needs none of these things, brothers and sisters. He does not need help. He does not need advice. He does not need directions for life. He does not need security of a gun or the wisdom of a judge. He does not need an emotional support animal nor a friend. He is not like us. He's not Santa Claus in the sky. He does not need any man, woman, or child, or even you. As such, nothing can affect him, for he depends on nobody. He is independent. That's the nature of what it means to be God. This is one of what is called in traditional theology incommunicable attributes, something that we do not share with him at all. We can share the idea of love, like I said, but our love is fragile, our love is limited, our love can be false, but it's still love. But independence? We have nothing of the kind. We like to talk about independence in America. We celebrate our independence. Of course, what we mean by that is a relative independence. We still depend on large parts of the world for certain imports, for example. But nothing like that for our God and Savior. In fact, He is life in Himself. John five twenty six. We read for as the Father, Jesus says, has life in Himself, of Himself, from Himself. So He has granted the Son to have life in Himself as well. In other words, the highlight here: God is independent. With the source of life, we need Him to have life. We need things. We need, we depend upon each other. We depend upon the things of this world. God is behind all these things and makes them exist. He is independent and supports them. He does not need anything here in this creation. He's the source of all life. And He is intrinsically independent of all things. God's independence means that he does not need or require anything from this creation, neither man's decisions, desires, or doings, or will, ever can make God dependent upon them. Acts 17.25 we read, Paul's sermon there. is he, that is God above, worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. In other words, we need him. That's the God with whom we have to deal with. In contrast, everything else is dependent. Even the richest, strongest, most powerful dictator on the face of this earth that ever has been or ever will be snaps his finger and half the nation is wiped out. Stalin was such a man, the old communist dictator, and others as well. And yet they still depend upon others for knowledge. They don't know what's going on on the other side of their country. They have to have people tell them. For power, even, that they have people enact his word. They're the power behind his word. And of course, advice and the like, and let alone food, water, and air. So even the best dictator is still very fragile and dependent upon the things of this world. But they, above all, depend upon God, whether they acknowledge it or not, because he is independent and needs none of them. Romans 11.31, for of him... And through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever, all men. That can only be the case if he is independent and does not need us. But we need him. That's the flip side. God is infinite is the second description of our God and Savior. He is independent of all things, and he is infinite within his being and his power and his might and his majesty. That is, infinite means without limits, in his knowledge, his power, his existence, Testified by his creation, that is, all things that we see now and don't see now, it shall come to pass, comes from his word, the power of his word in Genesis 1 1, where he spoke all things into existence. Verse 3 Let there be light, and there was light. There was nothing before, and now there is something. That's what creation is in Genesis 1 and 2. That shows his infinite power over finite creation. This description or attribute or characteristic of God as independent means this in particular, that with respect to space and time, we have other descriptions of God that we're more familiar with. With respect to space, that, that he is infinite means he is omnipresent. That is, he is everywhere at once. Psalm 139.7, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? We know the rest of that. You can go up to the highest parts of the heavens and lowest parts of the earth. And thou art with me, no matter where I go. With respect to time, when God that God is infinite means with respect to time, what? He's eternal. Psalm 92. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Always and always shall be. God's infinitude, that he is infinite, means that all his attributes, his knowledge, his holiness, his truth, we have knowledge, we have holiness, we have truth, it is what? Finite. Limited. His is not. It is infinite. He can do all things. He is all powerful. He is everywhere. He is all present. And he is without end. That's what it means that he is infinite. Our God has no limits. First Timothy one seventeen. Now to the God, to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And everything else is finite and limited, as we know. We are limited in power, we're limited in time, and we're limited in space. That's why these powerful dictators depend upon others. Because now you see, I hope, that the idea of dependence and finitude go together, just as much as independence and infinitude, infinity, go together. Because they are finite they are limited and dependent upon other people around them for knowledge and for power itself, but not our God and our Father above. And the third description of our God, not only is he independent, not only is he infinite, he is immutable. Immutable. We don't use that word very often. It means unchangeable. He does not change. Which would make sense if he's infinite, and if he's independent of all things in this world so that whatever we do won't change his mind. Doesn't force him to do something different. Like when we make a promise and something comes along and changes, upends your plans out the window. And that's the end of that you feel embarrassed. God never has that problem. His plans from eternity never change. There's no random events that confuses him. Satan's machinations do not undermine him. And sin does not catch him off guard. I hope you see already how encouraging these truths are for the Christian walking right now in this world. When he promises salvation, he means it. It shall come to pass. He will not renege. God's immutability means that he does not change. His truth does not change. His justice does not change. His knowledge does not change. His power does not change. All that is God will stand the test of time and beyond because he is beyond time and above time. The counsels of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his hearts to all generations. Psalm 3311. What we read in the Bible is a sure foundation of hope. We read of his love and his mercy for those who believe for us, brothers and sisters. But that means nothing if God can change his mind in a heartbeat. There's no gospel. In Muslim theology, one of the things that struck, it still sticks in my memory when Dr. Doc, when Virtually, Dr. Martin, our elder, uh, Tripp Martin, who's got a lot of instruction and knowledge, went over the theology of Islam and how you have to do good works and follow the five pillars of Islam. But even if you did all that stuff and you were absolutely perfect to the T, at the last judgment day, Allah could say, you know, eh, I think I'll send you to hell. There's no hope. There's no promise in that religion. It's absolutely horrifying. I can't imagine living that way. And yet there it is, because their God is fickle and mutable in that sense. So, we have a better God. The basis of our hope, Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Providence, sons of the OPC. This is the fount of our assurance of salvation. We look not to ourselves, but to him who has promised in his word and the gospel of Jesus Christ that he shall save you to the uttermost. Denying that God is immutable is to deny that he actually saves anybody. But all of creation is changeable and therefore unreliable. Judges err. Presidents change your policy. Bosses fail. Neighbors lie. But our Lord stands true forever and ever. That's our hope. So what? I think you already know some of the so what's of what it means that God is not a man, but God is God, and that He is God, He is independent, infinite, and immutable. What's the significance for the Christian life? We know it's important, but what in particular? Well, the one thing I should teach you is humility. This morning we read in Mark 9 about the arrogant disciples of Christ, trying to one-up each other. They should have been rather as little children, humble, accepting their position and place before Jesus in his kingdom. When learning of God's attributes, we ought to become little children standing in awe of a creator who has no beginning. I remember learning math in junior high and high school. Right? And you had to learn about The point, it's infinitely small, but you put a little point on the piece of paper. And from the point, you can draw an arrow. That's called a ray. I remember that much. It goes has a beginning, but it has no end. I can get that because, again, as human, I see I have a beginning. I have a mom and a dad, and mom gave birth to me. That's my beginning. And I can imagine staying in this state forever and ever and ever, although that's still kind of (laughs) mind-boggling, having no end. But now flip it the other way as well, having no beginning forever and ever and ever. Like, what? This is the God with whom we have to deal with, who's come to us, brothers and sisters, with his word of truth and love, saving us to the uttermost and promising promising us that redemption because his word is immutable. And thus, we ought to stand in awe of who he is and his greatness and his glory and our smallness and our insufficiency. We are small and infinitesimally tiny compared. To, we're that dot. <laughs> and he is everything else. Consider your life in particular. That the independence of God means His love is not dependent upon your obedience. You will fail. That's why we preach the gospel of hope and promise, because you will fail. You will sin as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife. You may fall in grievous sin as David himself did. He was involved in murder and adultery. But of course, he eventually, what, repented. The Spirit of God brought conviction upon him, and he fled back to Jesus, and he stayed safe. He never lost his salvation. And so, for us, we need to realize yes, this will happen, but we should not give up hope, but rather embrace God all the more and meditate upon this attribute of God that he is independent of all things, he's independent of your obedience and shall save you to the uttermost. His infinitude, that is infinite, means his love knows no end. If it knows no end, that means what? Sin shall not undermine it. (laughs) So we see independence and infinitude of God with respect to the same topic of sin overlap as they should. Love of our Father above through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit shed abroad upon your hearts shall have no end. His infinite, infinitude means he's infinitely powerful in time and space. He's all powerful, omnipotent, and he can therefore overcome that limited power of sin in your life of Satan in this world, of the flesh that you live with. That's what it means that he's infinite. It shall not stop him, because of his power has no end. And he's immutable as well. That means, naturally, his power and his love and his mercy and his grace upon you, upon his church, shall never change. He'll never take it back. He'll never say, What was I thinking? Why did I save you? What was I doing? God forbid a thousand times, brothers and sisters, If we do not have such a God, how can we have confidence as Christians and hope to carry on day by day? We cannot. I suppose we can call it a happy inconsistency for our brothers in the Lord who do not have such an understanding of God. And lastly, consider the psalmist. He's happy about our Lord and he praises Him for who He is. Even if God had done nothing for him, the psalmist and we as well, and all creation should praise and honor our God. We read in Psalm 102, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He's happy indeed and he recognizes and he stands in awe of this God, of his might, of his independency, that he is the shepherd and we are the sheep sheep need a shepherd. The shepherd doesn't need sheep. And he's joyous about God being infinite in his love and his justice. Psalm 101, I will sing of the mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. And he praises God for his immutability. Psalm 102, 26, they will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, learning who God is, that he's independent, that he's infinite, that he's immutable, that he's not a man, that he should lie, change, or be dependent upon the things of this world. This truth should not just simply be interesting and exciting as it stands, but even more so should draw us unto him day by day in dependence and to prayer and to rejoicing. Psalm 118, 28 and following. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our God, your mercy indeed endures forever because you are infinite, because you are immutable, and because you are independent. And, Lord, this is a wonderful truth, God, as we see how they all coalesce together in you, as only it can be, God, in all that there ever is. There's only one Lord, one creator of all things. And we are all all part of that creation and therefore dependent upon you, mutable and finite. Our God, help us to continue to be humble, but always, Lord, drawing nigh unto you by the blood of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us stand and sing him two hundred forty-nine, two four nine.
1: The heart and mind's delight for oh, the mystic harmony Linking sense to sound and light Lord of all to thee we raise This our hymn of grateful praise O'er oh, joy of human love Brother, sister, parent, child, Friends on earth and friends above, For all gentle thoughts and mild, Lord of all to thee we raise, This our hymn of grateful praise. For thyself best gift divine, To our race so freely give for that great, great love of thine, peace on earth and joy in heaven. Lord, ever to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise.
0: Now may the God of grace and mercy, and His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen. Amen.